morning together already, and I'm glad that you're here, glad we get to be together. My name's Jeremy, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and one of the things that comes with my role is probably uh, somewhere more than 40 times a week, uh, 40 times a year, not 40 times a week, 40 times a year, on a Sunday, I stand up here, and I look out, and I see usually on average 130-some faces staring back at me expecting to hear something. Uh, and I'm grateful for that privilege, but even as I do that, knowing that most weeks I know I could name probably almost everybody sitting here, but do I know the details of what's going on in everybody's life? Do I know uh, what's, what's happening in the depths of your life? I know that even as I stand here today, some of you came in here doing overall really well. And others of you walked in this morning not doing well at all. And maybe others of you walked in here this morning not even knowing how you're doing because life has been so fast-paced, you haven't even slowed down recently to ask yourself, how am I actually doing? Lots of different people from lots of different backgrounds, gathered together in one place. And, and here, I trust that you're here on purpose, that you need to hear something, that God intends for you to hear something, and, and I ought to then say something. But what is it? I spend some time during the week, typically, studying the Word, and I come prepared with two pages of notes and a Bible into the pulpit. Yet what do you need to hear? What do others need to hear? What are we supposed to do with what we hear? What's going to come of this? Is there going to be any difference because we were together for an hour and 15 minutes this morning, or maybe more like an hour and a half today? When we left off in Acts chapter 2, the promised Holy Spirit had come. And people from all over the world had gathered and were standing in front of Peter. All sorts of different people with all sorts of different experiences and all sorts of different questions and all sorts of different backgrounds. All there, standing before Peter. And last week, we heard the introduction of Peter's sermon. Peter was trying to meet them where they were at. They all had questions about what it was they just saw. When the Holy Spirit came and there were sounds and there were sights, people were hearing of the mighty works of God in their own languages. And so Peter began his sermon by explaining to them, here's what just happened. It's exactly as God had told you. And now Peter's about to get into the heart of the sermon. There's an international crowd gathered before him. They need to hear something. Peter needs to say something. What is it they need to hear? What is it that Peter needs to say? What is it that you today that we today need to hear what will result from it. Let's go ahead and take a look at Acts chapter 2 and see the way it worked there. If you have your Bible, please open up. Acts chapter 2 today, we're looking at verses 22 through the end of Acts chapter 2. If you're able to, would you please stand? We'll read God's Word together. Let's pray first. Father, We need to hear something today, and I thank you that you have spoken so clearly in your word. I thank you that your Holy Spirit dwelling in Peter gave him the exact right words to say to that crowd gathered on that day. And I pray that you'd give me the right words. Uh, we know for sure that what I'm about to read is the right words. We need to hear this today. We need to hear the truth about Jesus. 
And God, I pray that as happened in this day, that, that something on this day today would happen in the hearts of some, that we won't be people who just hear the word, but that when we hear it, we are cut to the heart and want to know how we ought to respond. Be at work by the power of your Holy Spirit for the sake of your name today. In Jesus' name, amen. So God's word from Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. Peter is preaching to the crowd gathered there. He's done with his introduction, and he says these words. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an, uh, with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, and nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, 
They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. You can be seated. You got a bulletin when you came in. There is inside of that bulletin a spot for some sermon notes. There's probably not enough space on that page for what we're going to cover today, so write small. But if that's a helpful way for you to follow along and work through this later, there is with this a life group guide. We desire to be people who don't just hear the Word and understand the Word, but people who apply the Word. It's, I'm, that's not going to happen in the next half hour. That's going to happen as you do some work on your own, whether that's alone, with your family, or in your life group. And that's why that life group guide is there as well. So you'll see in there, the first point today is this. Sinners need to hear the truth about Jesus, His life, death, resurrection, and ascension. So we heard the body of Peter's sermon. What would you say if you were just trying to analyze this sermon? The only thing you could conclude is that the topic of Peter's sermon, what Peter knew that the people there needed to hear was simply this, Jesus. They needed to hear about Jesus. That's all that Peter's sermon is really about. It's about Jesus. He makes that very clear. In verse 22, he begins with Jesus' life. Just watch how he walks through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Remember, it's only been 50 days since Jesus ascended to heaven. He did a very public ministry for three years leading up to his crucifixion. And many in that region had either seen him personally, heard Jesus teach, or had certainly heard stories about him. And so Peter's speaking to many who were eyewitnesses. You know this man, Jesus. Yes, God, but also, yes, man, Jesus of Nazareth. You know him. You've seen the signs and wonders that he performed. You you know him. Okay, so he begins with the life of Jesus. Then in the very next verse, he moves to the death of Jesus. Verse 23, look at it. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. We've turned to this verse before when we've tried to see how does it work that we're personally responsible for our sin, yet God is sovereign over every detail. This verse has both of them there. This was God's plan from the beginning. Jesus would die in this way, yet they were the ones who had executed him. They were the ones, even some of those standing before Peter on that day, they were the ones who had seen to it that Jesus was crucified and killed. They were guilty. Peter has talked about the life and now the death. And then verses 24 to 32. The main point of Peter's sermon seems to be the resurrection of Jesus. You look through verses 24 and following, he talks a lot about the resurrection. We're not going to go through that in detail so that we can keep moving, but verse 24, I let you you got to note verse 24. Jesus dead, buried, laid in a tomb. But listen to what he says in verse 24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
oh, it looked that Jesus maybe was weak or something. I mean, he, he had been killed. They were mocking him on the cross. Why don't you take yourself down from the cross? His body was taken down, his dead, lifeless body taken down from the cross and buried in a tomb, uh, uh, something sealed. We just sang about that a little bit ago, right? A stone rolled in front of it. It looked like this was it. But verse 24 is beautiful, isn't it? Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. If you think he's going to be stuck inside that tomb, you do not know God. It's not possible for death to hold him in there. And then Peter will spend a number of verses going back to the King David, who lived about a thousand years before this time. And he's quoting at length Psalm 16. All of verses uh, 25 through 28 are a quotation of Psalm 16, which was a psalm that David, King David, had written. And Peter's using this in his sermon, Peter's using Scripture in his sermon to help people to see that David was prophesying. Most of the people, all the people gathered are either Jews or proselytes, right? Gentile converts to Judaism. They know the Scriptures, and so Peter's using their Scriptures to point out to them that this one, this Jesus, was spoken of by your King David. When David was writing these things about the Holy One not seeing corruption, about being at the right hand, David wasn't talking about himself. David was talking about Jesus. And so David prophesied about the resurrection of Jesus. Peter's trying to make this point. The people gathered around Peter, what did they need to hear? They needed to hear of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. This isn't about David because David's dead. That's what he tells them in verse 26, verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. His tomb is with us to this day. Like, you can go there. You can go see, right? He's telling them, you can go to David's tomb. David wasn't writing about him. He's writing about Jesus and his resurrection. Calls David a prophet in verse 30. But then in verse 33... Oh, verse 32, we've got to note that really quick. Verse 32, he says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So we know that Jesus has been raised from the dead because death can't hold him, because David said it was going to happen, and because we've seen him. Remember that this is only 50 days since Jesus ascended to heaven. Or only 10 days since Jesus ascended to heaven, right? And so, so here we are, Peter and many other people who had said, we're, we're told in Scripture that between the time of his resurrection and his ascension, he appeared to more than 500 witnesses. Many of those are in the crowd right there. And so Peter's saying, we're witnesses to this. It's not just that David said it. It's not just that we know this to be true about God. We've seen, we've spent time with, they had breakfast on the shore with the risen Jesus. So all this stuff, he wants them to be sure. Here's what, I need, here's what you need to know. Wherever you've come from, whatever you've, you've been up to, you need to know of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and then one more point in his sermon. That is the exaltation of Jesus. You need to know who Jesus really is. So look at verses 33 and following. 
being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Remember, they're all gathered because they saw the Holy Spirit coming and wondered what was happening. Peter says, it's Jesus who's doing it. Jesus is sending the Spirit. He said that He would send the Spirit, and He's doing that. It's Jesus who has now been exalted. That's the word he uses in verse 33. And again, he quotes from David, quoting another psalm. I think it's the most often quoted psalm in the New Testament. It's Psalm 110. And again, saying, this is referring not to me or some other earthly king. This could only be referring to Jesus. Jesus, who was resurrected from the dead, and Jesus, who was exalted and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's who it's all about. And then verse 36 is his summary. Here's the conclusion to the sermon. I wonder, I wonder what, it was like a mic drop kind of moment, except for he didn't have a mic. Verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So he's making it very personal. They're guilty. This Jesus whom you crucified, they're guilty. They are sinning. He's speaking to sinners, and he's not giving a seeker-sensitive message that doesn't help them to feel guilty. He's accusing them. They are guilty. He wants them to know that. But what else does he want them to know? This Jesus, God has made him both Lord and Christ. So that's the message. That's what the people on that day needed to hear. And so as I contemplate each week, I'm going to be standing up. I don't think Peter had had time to study, and I don't think he had notes. This all just came about. But as I have an opportunity to preach a sermon to you almost every week, I have to ask myself that question, what do you need to hear? And what I would say we need to hear more than anything, not just us, but people out there as well, people need to hear about Jesus. We need to hear again about the life and the death, the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. Jesus exalted. We need to hear the truth that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. So what kind of people are in here today? We have happily married people and we have happily single people. We have people who are in a difficult marriage, and we have people who are having a difficult time being single. We have people who are young and people who are getting old, and some people would say, I'm not just getting old, I'm there. Right? We have people whose lives are filled with all sorts of successes and other people who look back at their lives so far and see a whole bunch of failure. We have people from stable homes, people from unstable homes. People with stable jobs and people who are struggling at work. People who are parenting and enjoying every moment of it and people who are parenting and struggling through every moment of it. People who are getting healthier and people who have cancer. That's who we are. That's who the people are out there. And what is it that we all need to hear? More than anything else, we need to hear about Jesus. We need to hear about who He is. That He is both Lord and Christ. 
need to hear that he lived and died and rose and is exalted. So, parents, your kids hear you say a lot of things. They need to hear a lot of things, but they mostly need to hear about Jesus. Do they hear you talking to them about Jesus? Kids, you're at school. A lot of kids need to hear a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff to learn when you're a kid. You know what a lot of kids need to hear most about? Jesus. So are we people who recognize, like Peter did, with a crowd staring at him? Maybe that's not you. Probably that's not a lot of you. Standing before a great crowd, speaking to people, preaching to people in that way. But the reality is the crowds, we all need to hear the truth about Jesus. Who's going to tell them? Like we looked at last week. Remember, how is someone saved? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But, remember those questions? How are they going to call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in, whom of who, in Him of whom they have not heard? And how are they going to hear unless someone preaches to them? Somebody's got to tell people about Jesus in order that they might hear about Jesus, in order that they might believe in Jesus, in order that they might call on Jesus and be saved. People need to hear the truth about Jesus. Second point. And this is where it gets exciting. Here's what happens. Verse 37. This is the response. It says this, verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They heard this message about Jesus and about their own sin. And their response is, we got to do something. When I was reading this, it made me remember a story that I heard. One of our local missions partners is Wings of Refuge. They're uh, an organization that started out here in Iowa Falls, now based out of Ames. And their aim is to rescue and restore victims of human trafficking. And I remember the story that I heard from uh, the, the person and persons that founded that organization together. They had watched a documentary, and in watching that documentary, they were cut to the heart and said, we got to do something about this. And out of this is born this organization that has done great things. Something similar and even more significant taking place here. As this large international crowd is gathered, they hear this message about Jesus, and what does it say? They were cut to the heart. That's pretty violent. Like this idea of like being cut to the heart. Something was happening there. It wasn't just like, oh, there's another sermon. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? We have to do something. Here's what Peter says to them. Let's read again, verses 38 to 40. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So, this message, who is it for? Note that. What does it say? Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. 
And then later on, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Who needs to hear this message about Jesus and respond to it? Everybody everywhere. Your generation, the next generation, people right here, people who are far off. Everyone needs to hear this message and respond to it. What is the result of responding to this message? What well, says in verse 38 this, forgiveness of sins, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. In verse 40, being saved from this crooked generation. This is what happens. But here's the important question, how? How does that stuff happen? How do all people from all sorts of different backgrounds everywhere hear this good news? What does uh, what, what a response to this good news look like that brings about these results? That's in verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. That was their question. What are we supposed to do? And Peter answers their question. Here's what you do. Repent and be baptized. Let's break that down for just a second. Repent literally means to change one's mind. Okay? The word in Greek is metanoeo, which means to change uh, your knowing. Okay? So I used to think this way, and now I think this way. Repentance is as though we're kind of, this is what we do naturally. We live as though we are our own king, that we are Lord, that we call the shots, that we are good. And repentance is having this mind change. Faith is kind of the opposite, or on the opposite side of the coin. You can't have repentance without faith. So you're turning away from sin, and sin being your master, and you're turning toward Jesus. Moving from I'm Lord to Jesus is Lord. Moving from I'm okay to I'm in desperate need of a Savior. Right? So a turning around, a changing of the mind. That's repentance. And this happens internally. I mean, I literally was, was turning around, but not necessarily is that going to be the response. People aren't going to hear Peter's message and start doing this in the crowd. But it's something that happens internally. This is the direction I was heading, and I'm taking a whole new direction. My mind has changed now. And then he also says this, be baptized. Now, being baptized, which they had seen, maybe some had seen John the Baptist do. Baptized was, we just transliterated that word. It just means to immerse. So this idea of somebody going into the water, being fully immersed in it and coming back up out of it. Is, is Peter saying here, and some would teach this, that Peter is saying, this is what some would teach, that Peter is saying that in order for you to have sins forgiven and for you to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you must be baptized. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? That's our memory verse for this week. I think if you would look at the rest of Scripture, again, when we're looking at Scripture, we want to see it in its whole context they're asking peter what they ought to do and he's telling them of this inward change that needs to happen repentance and faith but what comes alongside that also is this external sign this outward sign of this thing that has happened inwardly and that is baptism 
a full identification with Jesus as Lord and Christ, identifying with him in his life, death, and resurrection, which Peter just preached to them about, being raised to put to death with Christ and being raised to new life in Christ. So repent, and then what follows that repentance is baptism, an external sign of what's happened inwardly. So I would say no, Peter is not here teaching, and Scripture does not teach that one must be baptized in order to have sins forgiven, nor does Scripture teach that anybody who's been baptized now has sins forgiven. The baptism is this external sign that's showing something that's happened internally. So, quick application for us is this. It would be foolish of me to go on without pausing to make certain that you hear this. It's not enough for you to have heard, either for the first time or for a long time, these truths about Jesus and intellectually say, yes, that sounds fine. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, who lived the life that we failed to live and who died the death that we deserve to die, the Jesus who was raised with victory over sin and death, this message is a message that demands a personal response. And so as you hear this truth, maybe you heard it as we sang that song, Oh, Praise the Name, earlier. Maybe you heard it as I walked through, just like Peter walked through, the life, death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus. If you are cut to the heart, the response that you have to make is one of a couple things. Either you can continue to not change your mind, to not repent, just to continue to going, thinking the way that you're thinking and doing the way that you're doing and living the way that you're living, or you can repent to change your mind, to turn around and to put your faith in Jesus. This is what I would ask you to do. At the end of the worship service, when there's time for people to pray, if this is the spot that you're at, then you just come and say, I want to put my faith in Jesus. Today's the day that I repent. I want my sins forgiven. There's no way I'm going to make up for it on my own, but I trust that what Jesus has done is enough. Love to pray with you. And if you have done this, here's a point of application for you. No, I don't think this is teaching that you ought to be baptized in order to be forgiven for your sins. But the command here is clearly a command to be baptized, and we see that same command in other places. And so have you, as a believer, professing faith in Jesus Christ, identified with him publicly through baptism? We'll be doing another baptism here uh, in, in the next couple of months. And if you're somebody who has been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, but has not been baptized as a believer... I would encourage you to consider being baptized. If you want to know more about it, I put the donuts are gone, uh, but back on the table where the donuts once were are these little question and answer sheets that give you even some next steps about if, I'm, if you're interested in being baptized, do this. Maybe it's just questions that you have. That's why those were put together. There's some on the welcome counter, there's some right up here, and there's some where the donuts used to be. Grab one on your way out. Love to talk to you more about being baptized. There's one more point left. Because 
this response led to some real results. Peter didn't just kind of get a quick count. All right, how many want to respond in that way? I want you to come forward, sign this card, walk the aisle, kneel down, and then go back to life as usual. That's not what Peter did. Right? He makes this call, he tells them how to respond, and God brings about salvation. So, go ahead and look at these final verses of chapter 2. First, verse 41 says this, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is incredible. The group of disciples, which had been 120 earlier, has now suddenly grown as 3,000 souls. 3,000 people repented and put their faith in Jesus on this day. About, it says, about 3,000 souls. So, result number one that comes from people hearing the truth about Jesus and responding, result number one is salvation. And that salvation then leads to some life-transforming results. Now these people have a new life to live, a new life in the church. And what does that look like? Let's look really quickly, verses 42 and following. It says in verse 42, here's what I want us to notice. I'm not going to be able to go through this in as much detail as I wanted. I want us to notice four things that Christians do and three things that God does. Okay? Like I said, there's probably not space in your notes. You have to write really small. Four things that Christians do, three things that God does. Let's start with the four things that Christians now are committed to. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to, number one, the apostles' teaching. Okay? Remember, they would not have had the New Testament yet. So if they're going to hear the truth about Jesus and what that means for them, they're going to hear it directly from the apostles. Okay? The apostles' teaching. Two. The second thing that they do. And the fellowship. Okay? When we talk about fellowship, we usually talk about like having a potluck. Okay? That's not what he's talking about. I mean, in part, kind of. That can include that. But fellowship is not drinking sort of okay church coffee with a bunch of people. Right? That, that's not fellowship. Fellowship is what we see laid out in verses 44 and 45. Verses 44 and 45 do not teach communism. They teach what it looks like to have fellowship with one another. When, when, we, when we are a part of a new family, you're saved into something. You're saved into a new family. Suddenly you have new brothers and sisters. And what fellowship looks like is it looks like what we see in verses 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Okay? All of a sudden, these people from so many different places with so many different backgrounds, they're coming together and they're saying, hey, this is how we live now. We're a part of a new family. We have fellowship with one another. And it looks like selling what they have and caring for one another, meeting each other's needs. Number three, the third thing that they do, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread. Okay, The breaking of bread could refer to just eating meals together. And also could refer to the church gathering around the Lord's Supper or communion. Okay? 
They're doing that on a regular basis together. And then number four, and the prayers. When the church gets together, they're, they're hearing from teaching from the Word of God, in this case, from the apostles. They're having fellowship with one another. They're committed to the breaking of bread and to praying together. This is what the church does. Those four things. What does God do at that time? Three things. Three things we note in this passage that God does. One, that God brings about signs and wonders through the apostles. Did you see that in verse 43? And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Okay? Signs and wonders done through the apostles. God is doing that through the apostles. Verse 47. Another thing God, the second thing God does, verse 47. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. God, for a time, it will not last as we'll see here. But there was this short little season where God was giving his people favor with all the people. Okay? God is giving them favor. And the third thing that God does is he saves people. Okay? Verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They weren't wooing people in with some great marketing schemes and graphic design and really good worship bands. Right? The Lord was adding to their number those who were being saved. What were they doing? Committing themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. That's what they did. That's what God was doing. Quick application for us would be this. This is, again, we're going through this pretty quick. We have a half hour plus on Sunday morning for us to look at this. That's not enough. That's why we're in life groups. Part of being in a life group uh, is that we're doing the very things that we're called to do right here in this passage. We're called to be breaking bread. It says that they were breaking bread in their homes receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, right? That we get together with one another. We're not people who come for an hour and a half to sing songs and look at the back of other people's heads. We're people that live in face-to-face relationships with one another, right? This is what the church does. So, what does God do in our day? God saves. This is still happening. Maybe not day by day and maybe not 3,000 at a time. But still in our day, as we do the work that we're called to do, God is bringing people to himself. God saves. God does signs and wonders. We don't have any reason to believe that what God was doing at this time through the apostles is going to continue in exactly the same way through all the rest of human history. Nor do we have any clear teaching in Scripture that it's never going to happen again. But what happened at this time was signs and wonders being done through the apostles. God can do that in our day too if he desires to do so. And then, the third one, God may give us favor with people for a season. Now, I like this. I like to be liked by people. But the reality is, like we'll see here in Acts, the more they become faithful to doing the work that God has called them to do, the more they fall out of favor with other people. So our goal is not favor. If God gives us favor with other people, great. We don't try to intentionally lose favor with other people by being mean, right? But if we're faithful and we fall out of favor with other people, that's okay. God can and sometimes does give us favor with other people. So what do we do in our day? This is how we'll close. What do we do in our day? We're people that have a lot of different commitments. If, if, if this was you and it said, 
fill in your name in the blank, and -and so-and-so devoted himself or herself, or this family, they devoted themselves to, what would you put in the blanks there? What are you devoted to? What commitments do you have in your life? We have a lot of commitments. That's why we're busy. We've devoted ourselves to a lot of things. And a lot of times the temples where we're gathering are temples called gyms, and then we're kind of worn out, and so we spend a little bit of extra time entertaining ourselves with some kind of screen in front of our face. What are we devoted to? What are we committed to? Are we committed to the apostles' teaching, which we don't have apostles with us now, but we have what the apostles have written? And so are we committed to hearing teaching from the Word of God? Are we committed to gathering together, breaking bread, taking communion with the church on a regular basis? Are we committed to getting together for prayer? Yes, for a concert of prayer, but individually with one another. Are we committed to that? Are we committed to praying for one another in our life groups? Are we committed to praying for one another when we're on our own? And then finally, are we committed to fellowship? And again, not just eating food together. Because like, I'll sign up for that. Where do I sign up for eating food with other people? It's more than that. Fellowship is looking at one another and saying, hey, we're family now, so if you need something, I'll take care of it. And so that was the opportunity that Mark mentioned here at the beginning of the worship service. You heard from Pastor Stan and Chris and Stacy, or family, right? Brother and sisters in Christ. And only one from our church, one member from our church, has been called long-term to leave her family here in Iowa and to serve long-term learning Romanian in order that she might be a special needs and orphan advocate in Romania and now a co-leader of the city team there in Bucharest. One person has been called to that. Three other people in our church have been called. So we support Mandy. When you give your normal monthly offering, we, we give some pretty healthy support each month to Mandy being her sending church happy to do that and we also recognize that as she could use some encouragement her team could be ministered to by three people who have been called from our church to go but they're our family mandy's our family and a whole bunch of people in romania are our family and so we say well here's a need cost some money to get on a plane and travel across an ocean and god's given us some stuff so what we do we share one of the very applicable ways uh, that we can look at a passage like this and obey that command right away. So we're going to do that here in just a moment, but here's what I want you to do. There is a line on the bottom of your bulletin sermon notes page there. It says what I need to do. Okay. Not every, I don't like to do like every sermon I give you some homework. So I don't think the gospel is mostly about what we're supposed to do, but it is a response to this one because the people said, what are we supposed to do? What do we want to do? And there were options, and there's options for us. So, I want you to think about this. Maybe today the thing you need to do is repent and put your faith in Jesus. If that's you, if you know that you don't have confidence that you belong to Him, that you've turned to Jesus in faith, then you write in that blank, what do we need to do today? I need to repent. Others of you, you might at least need to pick up some information about baptism. Okay, I've been, God saved me, and I haven't identified with Him in baptism. I'm going to write that down. What do I need to do today? Something about baptism. Others, it's maybe looking at reprioritizing your life. What am I committed to? If my family's life is in that blank, this family devoted themselves to what? What are we devoted to? 
there's something we're a bit too, vo- too devoted to that's not allowing us to be devoted to the things that God calls us to be devoted to. Maybe I need to think about that. Maybe we need to have a conversation about that this evening. I'm going to pray here in a moment. But I'm going to be quiet for a while and trust that during that time you'll be asking God that question. God, what do I need to do in response to hearing good news? What do I need to do today? Maybe you'll write that in that blank. I'll be quiet for about a minute, and then I'll close in prayer. Father, I thank you for how clear your word is about what we most need to hear, about the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, a truth that we need to respond to. Jesus is Lord and Christ. I pray that our responses would be honoring to you. Thank you for all you've given to us, as Mark mentioned earlier. We have far more than we deserve. And it is a joy for us to be able to share with one another. So help us to share even now with joyful, cheerful hearts that Jesus might be glorified. In his name we pray. Amen.